discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. He says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boateng as Christ is magnified in you. If you honor the anointing, it will work for you. Yeah. The secret to the anointing of God upon the servant working for you is Anna. And by God's grace, over the years, God has taught us a little bit about Anna to Anna, this man of God. And none of these things would have happened without his presence in my life and his presence in this ministry's life. This ministry is for him. We're commissioned through him, through his ministry. On, on 13th October of November 2011, he stood behind our pulpit and declared that Christ World Incorporated is open. And it is through his guidance that this, this ministry is being started. So he's a very, very important person to me and to our ministry. Through his words, and his counsel and guidance and comfort. I am still a minister of God. And the work we are doing has gotten to the point it has gotten to. Sometimes you call and, and say, this is, what, this is what I'm seeing, this is what God is saying. And it's, it's always spot on. So I'm honored and blessed to be linked to you, sir. I know it is because of my link to you that all these things that we see is happening. Thank you. You know, we are, it's our 10th anniversary and we are just saying thank you to the Holy Spirit and his manifestation through this man into my life and hence into your life. So I want us to all go to our knees as we invite this man of God. Bobby, let's invite the man of God with a big round of applause. Thank you, sir. Hallelujah. Can you sing this song? To God be the glory. Why don't you lift your hands as you wave to Jesus, to the Father. He has been good to us all these years. Just worship him to just the song. Let's give him all the glory.
you do great things past finding out. You are incomprehensible. Neither the number of your years can we search you out. Now I come to you. You created the ends of the earth. You are sovereign. You rule in the heavens, in the armies of the heavens, and in the earth. Father, we praise you for your goodness, for your love, for your kindness, for your wisdom, for your favor. Thank you for this ministry. In your eternal mind, you preordained and prearranged the causes of our life. Thank you for love economy. This tenth year, Father, we are filled with gratitude for what you can do. Thank you, Father. Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you, dear Jesus, that you are building your church and the gate of Hades will not prevail. Thank you that your word is prevailing. Of us all together because you ordained us in this ministry, you guided our path and feet in the way of peace. Thank you for such family you brought us into. Oh, Father, thank you. You notice if it is a foretaste of what we'll experience in heaven. Thank you for fishing all of us out, giving us such a spiritual fishnet, and bring, giving us such a union one with another, and bringing everyone here. It is you, Lord. Thank you that our lives have been impacted over the years. Our lives have been transformed over the years. Thank you for Pastor T's life, Father. Thank you that, Father, you are his qualification. And you raised him up as a sign and an end sign for what you are doing in these last days. Thank you that you led him like you led Jacob. And Father, we look back and gratitude. We are, so, we are so surprised what you can do and what you have done. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this lovely wife that you gave him to stand with him and the money to give them. Thank you for all the pastors you brought him. Thank you for all the leadership and everyone here. Thank you, Father. You have done great things and we are grateful to this afternoon, I have open Father to receive from you. We know you will feed us and we have healed your word. To your glory, praise and honor forever. In Jesus' name, I summon you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you please be seated? Hallelujah. God is good. God is amazing. How many of you see yourself in the 20th anniversary of Love Economy? How many of you can see yourself? 20th, 20th anniversary. Hallelujah. It will be massive. For the 20th anniversary, you'll be in your own property like this place. Like Anakazu. Hallelujah. Yeah. Huge. There is no telling. You can't even conceive what God is going to do in the next 10 years. You can, you can have vision, you can dream, you can see, you can. It's still not up to what God will manifest in the next 10 years. Hallelujah. Comparing now in the next 10 years, you wonder. But we'll look back today and we'll go like, wow, we thought God had done a lot. Of course, God has done a lot. But what God is going to do is amazing. Hallelujah. God is bringing great harvest. And you are going to shepherd them and make them fit for his coming. Hallelujah. God bless you. Praise God. God bless you. I'm so excited. So when I stood here, a lot of memories are coming into my head. Praise God. It's amazing. God is working mightily here, but it's so simple. 
that sometimes you think it's just ordinary. But what is ordinary is not ordinary. It is supernatural. It is supernatural. Hallelujah. Pastor T is so blessed, so anointed. And uh, this is shares from his heart. His shares from his heart. He's feeding. And always he's feeding. He's feeding. He's feeding. He's feeding. And you are here because God gave you a good man. Hallelujah. God is so good. God is so good. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If you are in this ministry and you are consistent, by this time you should have full understanding into what the work of the ministry is. Hallelujah. And by this time you should have passion for the work of the ministry. Because it is the lifeline of this ministry. You should know it not as a theory, but by revelation. You should know it in your heart. Because that is the driven force of this ministry. And we shouldn't leave it, but we should grow in it. Talk about sacrifice. God will need more of it from you. More of it from you. Because now it's our salvation nearer than when we believed. And as we take our place, we begin to hasten his coming and do the work. Brethren, many have sacrificed. I think of the early church. I think of the early apostles, how the church began. Now, how do you think the end is going to be before rapture? How will the end be before rapture? For information, it is going to be greater than the acts of the apostles. I'm not saying we will be greater, we will be greater than Paul and Peter and Co. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God will work through us greater than he did. <laughs> because it's necessary for his coming, for the great harvest of souls. And you see how bold these apostles were, how they sacrificed, how they gave up everything. When you look around, it's as if you don't see it. But it is there. God is preparing the heart of so many people. And the sacrifice and the love and the passion that will be manifested in our day will be far greater than what we saw in the early church. Yeah. Greater Johns are coming. Greater Pauls are going to manifest. Greater Peters are coming. Their passion is for the Lord. They are focused. Apostle Paul could say, and I say, if I be offered upon the service and the sacrifice of your faith, I, will, I, will, I joy and will rejoice again. If I be in Philippians 2, verse 17, if I be offered, the word offered means literally, one version says, if I, if I be poured out as libation, as a, sacrifice, as, a, as a sacrificial offering for your faith, I joy. I rejoice. I rejoice. So Paul, you know what he was doing? He was pouring himself like libation. He was pouring himself as a sacrificial offering. He's been sacrificed. He poured himself out. And he says, when he does that, he's full of joy when he pours himself. In Acts 15, 26, the Bible speaks of certain men. The Bible spoke of him. From verse 25, he mentioned Barnabas and Paul. Then in 27, he, he mentioned Judas and the, another guy, Silas. But in verse 26, look at what he said. He said, these are the men. These men have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They have hazarded. They have risked their life. It's a risk. How do you hazard your life? Men who hazarded their lives. Because they love the Lord more than themselves. They hazarded. What they were doing was very highly risky, but they gave their lives to God. 
And Paul spoke of Aquila and Priscilla in Romans 16, 3 and 4. That these, this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, they lead their necks. Uh, Romans 16, 3 and 4. They lead their necks. You know how to lay your necks. How, how do you lay your neck? Literally, when the Bible speaks of laying your, your, your neck, figuratively, it speaks of, in those days, you, have, you lay your neck between two blocks when you're about to be executed. It means your head is about to be chopped off with a sword or with an axe. The posture in which you lay your neck is what Paul is describing here. So this couple, almost like they were living sacrifice, says they laid their neck for me, their necks for me. They were just willing to die for, because of me, because of the work of the ministry. Praise God. These men are going to manifest one more time. Yeah, they are going to come, and they are in our midst. You are the one I'm talking about. Do you know the history of the church? The first four centuries, 30 million Christians were killed for the sake of the gospel. 30 million Christians were martyred for the gospel in the first four centuries. And just after the Middle Ages, during the papal persecutions, in a few hundreds of years, 67 million Christians were killed. How many? 67 million Christians were killed because of the gospel. <laughs> Labored. So this gospel, many have gone before us, and they are just waiting for us. How will we finish it? They're waiting for us. How I'll finish it. I'm telling you, it's not a joke. What we are doing is God's main work. This is God's main agenda in the earth. When the apostolic faith mission was taken to South Africa under John G. Lake, he called his leadership and they had to invade a certain territory with the gospel. And they knew that when they get there, they will not survive, they will die. So Lake called for a conference meeting. They locked themselves in the room to deliberate on how the gospel could get there. And Lake wanted to even wanted them to stay after exhorting them because to go means death. Yeah, the gospel will go, but it, it meant death. His leaders rose and said, <laughs> Lake, you'll be here and watch the flock, but we are sending the gospel. <laughs> Can you imagine his leadership? And they boldly left and went to preach, and none of them survived. That's how the apostolic faith got to South Africa. They all died. And they chose death, actually. <laughs> because they knew that the gospel must get to that, 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 those territories. So I want to talk about, I, I'm, I'm, I'm describing how this whole thing has come to us. It came to us through the, the sacrifice of many. Hallelujah. Apostle John. When the Lord Jesus was on the cross, he looked down and told John, he said, Son, behold thy mother. And he said, Mother, behold thy son. That excited me too much. Even in pain, Jesus was taking care of his family. Even in bearing the weight of the sins of the world, he was mindful of his mom. But he put John, his mom in charge, gave his mom to John and said, Mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mom. Now, history tells us that after that scene, when the Lord died, John took Mary into his house. Because at that time, Joseph was dead. But you see, Jesus' brothers were, were also around. You know, the one who wrote the book of Jude was Mary's son. And the one who wrote the book of James was Mary's son. These were the brothers of Jesus, understand? <laughs> but he didn't commit to any of them. Actually, his brothers believed when he, was, he, he ascended. At that time, they had not yet believed in way. Now, John lived in Jerusalem. But from AD 37 AD to 44 AD, 
John left Jerusalem and began to preach everywhere. He began to preach the gospel. And wherever he went, he carried Mary. Yeah, John was literally traveling with Mary wherever he was preaching. <laughs> he carried Mary. For those, for those years, AD 37 to 44, everywhere he went, he was, he was preaching. But in AD 67 AD, 67 AD, Paul was beheaded. Paul died under Nero. A very wicked young emperor killed Paul. And when Paul died, there was a vacuum in the leadership of the church in Asia. Because you see, the, the, the churches were thriving most at that time in Asia. And Paul had founded most of the churches in Asia. But remember that in Acts 19, in two years, Paul preached to everyone in Asia. So because of that, churches had been raised. So many churches were raised in Asia. Not just the seven churches we see in Revelation. Many churches were raised in Asia. But when Paul was beheaded by Nero, there was a vacuum for the leadership. So John quickly took Mary and went to stay in Ephesus. And he assumed the leadership so he could strengthen the pastors of the churches and the leadership of the churches so the churches could thrive. Are you here? So when, so John went to stay in Ephesus. You know where John went to stay? In Ephesus, he stayed at the top of the temple of Artemis. You know, Artemis, Diana. You know, in Acts 19, they shouted for the space of two, two, two hours. Great is the goddess of Artemis. Artemis, that is Diana. Now, Diana was a goddess that was worshipped in Ephesus. And uh, the temple of Diana or Artemis was so huge, the temple alone had 6,000 priestesses. <laughs> huge. 6,000 priestesses. And the temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Even today, one of the pillars is still standing. Today. <laughs> so it was a huge edifice. <laughs> so just behind the edifice is a hill, a mountain. At, at, a, at the top of it was where John's, John, John stayed. That was where his house was. That was John's house. Now, John lived there for 27 years with Mary. Hallelujah. Now, why did John go and live there? Because it was risky for John to live in town. If John had lived in town, he would have endangered. He sought for a place to live where all the pastors from all of Asia would come to him for edification to be fed by the word. Hallelujah. If he had been in town, they up, coming up and down, they would have endangered their lives. It was risky. So he stayed there. Also with a, a kind of a Christian community around him. In the outskirts. More of outskirts. The emperor, the emperor at that time was called Domitian. Domitian. Now the Roman emperors were all worshipped as gods when they died. But Domitian, the emperor of Rome at that time, declared himself as a god for the first time when he was alive. So he, began, he decided to change the rules. So he declared himself as a god when he was alive. And quickly, he had his own priest. And all over the Asia, all over Asia, they built statues. So when you reach there, you can't pass the statue. You have to offer incense and bow down before you go. Now, there's a place called the, Domi the, the Domitian Square in Ephesus. Domitian's father, Vespasian, built a huge temple in honor of the Flavian dynasty. They are the Flavians. So they, they built a huge temple in honor of their dynasty, you know, the ancestry and all that. So the temple was there. When he declared himself as God, you know what he, went, he did? He went to the temple and converted the temple to as a place for his worship. So they began to burn incense for him. He had priests ministering for him. And at the Domitian Square, and this was close to where John was living, at the Domitian Square, you don't pass by the square. When you get there, you have to bow down, fall, and offer incense before you pass. 
Apostle John, one day was walking. What do you think John would do when he get there? <laughs> John got there. He didn't stop and just walked away. Trouble. And someone saw him. And the information sneaked out and reported him. So John was in his room and he heard a knock on his door. It was his arrest. It was his arrest. So they took him and they shipped him to Rome. Now, Domitian heard that there is a last surviving apostle of Jesus Christ. There's one apostle who was still alive. So when he heard it, he was excited. Who had violated his worship. So he was excited and he caught forth that he wanted to try him personally. Knowing that was the last apostle of Jesus. So he went to Ephesus and started to Rome, the capital of the, of the empire. And uh, you can just imagine before the thousands, Domitian called for John to de- denounce Christ. What do you think John would do? Ah, it's not possible. So when John, John refused, you know what they did? That is when they brought the cauldron of boiling oil. Now they didn't dump him at a go. They tied him on a rope and they dipped him little by little. So the oil was hot blazing fire. So they first, they first dipped his feet. And they, when they dip his feet, then they would bring, bring, bring him back out. For them to feel the pain in degrees, if by adventure he may change his confession. Then they would dip him a little while for so minutes and they would just raise him up. <laughs> and finally, they put his whole body in it and they covered it. For him to fry like fish. After a while, they brought him out and nothing had happened to John. <laughs> John was so vibrant, he was walking up and down. You know what Domitian did? He was shaking physically. The emperor was shocked. So what sort of human being is this? <laughs> I mean, these miracles are going to happen in our day. <laughs> now listen, in our day, we'll be going for missions and they will kill one of our guys. You know what will happen? We wouldn't wait, we wouldn't cry, we wouldn't do anything. We'll just laugh and gather around the one who is dead and we'll just raise him up and continue the mission. <laughs> yeah. And continue the mission. Yeah. Some of you are going to plant churches in areas that you need this kind of faith I'm talking about. Where you have a the tenacity of a bulldog. <laughs> Unrelenting. You set your face as a flinch. You know God is with you fully, 100%. And you go and plant a church and raise men for, for God in diverse places. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You will need this grace from John in our day. And that's what is going to hit you. Yes, Hallelujah. So because, now the emperor was shaking vigorously, and um, he couldn't do anything. So what he did was to banish John to the Isley of Patmos. Now Patmos is an Alcatraz. You know, it's like, it's an island. When they drop you there, that's all. There's no way to get out. You have to just be there. Now John was not taken as a common prisoner. He was taken as a political prisoner. And when you go as a political prisoner, you know what happens? They don't give you food. There's no food. There's no water. There's no accommodation. There is nothing. So you, they just dump you there with wild animals and you have to survive. So they just dumped John at the Isley of Patmos. And when he got there, he found a cave and lived there. In, in that island, Alcatraz, there was the temple of Artemis. And beneath the temple, he saw a cave, and that became his home. The cave is still there today. It is called the Cave of Revelation. In that cave, that is when the book of Revelation unfolded. <laughs> and he began to see visions. Hallelujah. And the visions of God. John, when he got into that cave, <laughs> into the Alcatraz, into Patmos, he won souls. Yeah. And he started a church there. Look. <laughs> Look, you are irresistible. You, you are impregnable. 
Wherever they take you, you spring forth and survive. Even in the Isle of Patmos, the guy survived and raised up a people for God. <laughs> when Paul was in the prison of Nero, he converted Nero's family so that Propeia, who was Nero's wife, was a member of the Christian church. <laughs> so wherever they put you, I'm telling you, <laughs> death cannot stop you because the resurrection life is alive in you. You will break forth, you will pervade, you will prevail. Hallelujah. For by my God, you will run through a troop and by him you will leap over walls. Hallelujah. Nothing can stop you. The ability of God is in you. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. There is nothing you cannot do. He began, he had a church there. Can you imagine? <laughs> After five years, Domitian was beheaded. The emperor was assassinated. So after his death, there was, a, there was a kind of a time of amnesty where all those who were imprisoned in a wrongful manner were granted amnesty. So they had to let's just release them from prison. And John was one of them. At a time John was arrested, he was between 90 to 92 years. Can you imagine? Someone would have said, oh, that's retirement. And I've done enough for the Lord. I'm the youngest of the apostles. I've preached all my life. But he was still winning souls. Still began a church. How can someone begin a church at age 92? <laughs> and you're not even 30. You don't want to start a church. <laughs> and look at the condition he found himself. In an Alcatraz where there's no food, there is no water, where there is nothing, you just need to survive. You are in air condition. You have food, you have water, you have money. <laughs> Yet you said, I will not do it. <laughs> so after five years, when um, Domitian was beheaded, you know what happened? John was granted amnesty and he left. When he, when he was leaving the shores of Patmos, the brethren he had won, they were wept. They didn't want him to go. They wept. Can you imagine? They were all prisoners. Church among prisoners and among those who were condemned. Can I have a church among those people? The condemned. Hallelujah. Then he sailed back to Ephesus and went to live in the same house he was living. <laughs> At that time, Mary was dead. So Mary died. Mary lived in the same house with, 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 with John. But Mary had died. So when he got to the same house, that is when he began to write the Gospel of John. Then he wrote First John. Then he wrote Second John. Then he wrote Third John. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> ah. That's why he couldn't die. If he died, he had died, where would he have had the Gospel of John? And First John and Second John and Third John. Hallelujah. Brethren, O Karoma Shaka Telebe Konde Batate. Hallelujah. Nothing will stop us. The pressures from the world will not stop us. The perceptions of men will not stop us. That which is trending in the culture of the world will not stop us. We have held a plow and we are not looking back. We are fit for the kingdom. We are laborers of the kingdom and co-workers with God. And the work will be done in Jesus' name, the Son of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Can you please be seated? Hallelujah. All right. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Okay. Now understand that when the Bible, the word sacrifice is as much, you know, in the Old Testament, we, we come across the word sacrifice so much. But in the context of the New Testament, there is also sacrifice. In the Old Testament, there was a temple and there were priests. If there's a temple and there are priests, then there must be sacrifices. In the New Testament, there's also a temple. The church is a temple and we are also priests. Therefore, there must be sacrifices. Now the Bible tells us that ye also as living stones, you know, we are living stones. 
We are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to present unto God spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. First Peter 2 verse 5. So we are all a body of priesthood. And the Bible says what we offer is spiritual sacrifices. So in the New Testament, there's what is called the universal priesthood of all believers. Every one of us is a priest. And as priests, we offer spiritual sacrifices. And what are some of them? What are some of them? By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Hebrews 13, verse 15. One of the sacrifices you should offer as a priest is called praise. Praise. When you are praising, you are offering sacrifices to God. And what again? By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. So, unending. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The word giving thanks here is not the ordinary Greek word for thanks. In the ordinary Greek word for thanks is the word eulogy or eulogia, where we get the word eucharist or eucharist. But the word here is homologos. Homologos is the word for confession. To confess. Homo means same, and logos means word. So, same word. What it means is that you say what God has said. You declare what God's word has said. For instance, God says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when you say, I have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it is sacrifice and praise to God. So literally, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, confessing to his name. So whether you give thanks or you declare what Christ has done in his finished work in your life, they are all praise to God. Hallelujah. The next sacrifice, there are so many sacrifices. The next one is giving. Giving is a sacrifice. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. But to do good and to communicate, the word communicate is a, is, a, is a word for giving, transfer of wealth and substance. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Hebrews 13 verse 16. So this is another sacrifice. So as priests, we give sacrifices. Hallelujah. Your praise is a sacrifice. Your thanks is a sacrifice. Your declarations are sacrifices. And your giving is a sacrifice. Now let's see the one I want to talk about. That is a Romans 12 verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Which is your reasonable service. Now the word service here in the Greek is a word for priestly service. The service that is offered by the priest. The service that is offered by the priest. In the book of Hebrews, this word is used for the service rendered by the priest. So the Bible is saying that you giving your body as a living sacrifice is also a service. It's also a priestly service. So as priest, I'm sure the first thing we must give to God is our body as a living sacrifice. It's a service. Hallelujah. It's, it's a priestly service. Now he began by saying, I beseech you therefore. Now whenever you read therefore, you should ask yourself, what is therefore? Obviously he has been saying certain things from chapter 1 to chapter 11. Then he says, I beseech you therefore on the account of what I have said. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now what is the message of God? Now, if you have ever read the book of Romans, you realize that in the whole book, he spent time talking about so many lovely things. He spoke about our justification, sanctification. He spoke about our glorification. He spoke about adoption. He spoke about we being the righteousness of God. Now, he described the revelation of God's righteousness and what God, through Christ, has wrought and has given us in his finished work. It's such an untold blessing given to us. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, wonderful, wonderful things. Now, Paul called all of them the mercies of God. 
all that is in the book of Romans up to this time, he called it the message of God. That after telling you all the wonderful things God has done for us in Christ and given us and made us, he now comes to verse 12 and says that, I beseech you therefore on the account of what God has done for you. How do you respond to what God has done? By hallelujah. Then he said, I beseech. The word is parakalio, beseech. Now the word parakalio is a military word that conveys a sense of agency. In the military in those days when they were going for battle, the leader of the army would just put them together and give, give them the final exhortation before they go for battle. That is the same word Paul used here in beseeching us. <laughs> Hallelujah. In the Christian battle, we need what we need for the battle ahead of us. What we need to fight the good fight of, good fight of faith. That's what he's presenting to us. So I beseech you therefore, on account of everything said before, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Hallelujah. Now listen, there are many believers, there are many who are saved, but they have not yet done this. Many are saved, so if you have not yet done it, before we close, we will do it. We will do it because your spirit is saved, but have you consciously, officially, presented your body to him as a sacrifice? I'll show you what it means. You have to do it. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? After you are saved, your spirit is saved. You have to do something with your body and with your mind. But the body is not saved and the mind is not saved. So verse 1 speaks of the body, verse 2 speaks of the renewing of the mind. You have to do something about it. Otherwise, you'll be defeated. Although you are saved. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You, no one can present it for you. You have to do it. In the Old Testament, when you go offering to the temple and to the altar, you offer, you send a lamb or a bullock and you present your offering to, to God. It's a slain, it dies. Now God says, do the same thing. The only difference is that this time, you are not killing your body. Your body is alive, yet it's a sacrifice. <laughs> your body is alive, yet it's a sacrifice. What does it mean? Now when we speak of sacrifice on the altar, it's two things. Number one, ownership. Number two, responsibility. Ownership and responsibility. Ownership and responsibility. Hallelujah. What does it mean? You know, in those days, when you go and offer, you place the animal on the altar. When you're going back, do you go, with the animal? Do you go back with the animal? The moment you offer your body to God as a living sacrifice, you know what you are saying? God is the new owner of your body. There is an instant and an immediately transfer of ownership of yourself to God. It means that from now, my body is no longer mine. You, you, you have no right of claim to your body again. You have repudiated your right to ruling your body. The authority you have over your body is laid from your hands to another. <laughs> now, like the way when you put a, an animal on the altar, you don't take it back. When you put yourself on the altar, you don't take yourself back. You are, you are not yours again. Now, the day you offer your body as a living sacrifice, you know what it means? It means that, number one, now you cannot decide to do the things you want to do because you are, your body is not yours. Number one, you cannot decide to do the things you want to do. Number two, you cannot decide to go where you want to go. Number three, you cannot even eat what you want to eat. Number four, you cannot even dress what you want to wear. Because it's not yours. It has been presented. <laughs> this room is quiet. Hallelujah. <laughs> what did I say? Once, so if you don't want to present it, no problem. I want you to count the cost before you present it. 
Because God will take you serious when you present it. <laughs> when you present your body as a living sacrifice, you are saying, God, <laughs> my body's not mine again, it's in your hands. I don't decide to do I don't decide what to do again. I don't decide where to go again. I don't decide even what to eat. I don't even decide what to wear. Everything is yours. You just have to mean what you say. Your body is a living sacrifice. All right, now listen. So the first part is ownership. That means now God owns it. But the second part is responsibility. The moment God, God owns the body, he assumes full responsibility for it. The moment you lay your body on the altar, the Lord is yours. Now, he now owns it. But secondly, he assumes full responsibility for it. The responsibility is now his. So number one, what the body will wear is not, it's not, it's not your duty again. God now provides what the body wears because he assumes full responsibility. Number two, what the body eats and nourishes itself is not, it's not your problem again. God now resumes full responsibility for your body, the feeding of the body. <laughs> Number three, God now resumes full responsibility for the health of the body. It's his responsibility for the health of the body. Number four, the provision of strength for the body is now God's duty. His full responsibility. He provides strength for the body. Please, are you following me? Because, because once you put it on the altar, he now owns it. And now he's now responsible. He's now responsible. And when God is responsible for the upkeep of this body, tell me which sickness will hit it. If a sickness touches the body, he is responsible. Not you. He will make up your bed. <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> Look, if the body is weak and lacks strength, he is the one who provides because he has full ownership for the body and he has full responsibility. Listen, the day you give your body as a living sacrifice, from that day, it should shock you. People will bring you suits. People will bring you dresses. Now, God is responsible for now providing shoes for you. Before you realize this person is bringing you shoes. And this person is bringing you sandals. And this person is bringing... You are wondering, what have I done? Remember, God is now responsible for keeping the body. I'm serious. <laughs> because he now owns it. You'll never be hungry again. Before food is coming from everywhere. Someone is just taking you to a restaurant. To, you are going here, just chilling. It's because someone now owns the body. <laughs> and he will prov provide for the body. So two things, ownership. And do you think when you give your body to, to, to God, you are going to lose? It's the almighty God I'm talking about. People have wrong concept in life. <laughs> this almighty God we are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you see you. So that anything he owns the body, anything he demands, for instance, Bishop Boy Depot was working 18 hours a day. And he was never tired and weary. Why? Because the one who owns the body plays that demand. And because he plays that demand, the owner is responsible in supplying the strength needed. To fulfill that task. It's simple. So he would do it and he, I mean, he's fine. A man had a heart disease and the doctors gave him when he was going to die. Three weeks he was supposed to die. He understood how to give your body to him. He gave his body to God. And he started working in the house of God. By the time he was sharing the testimony, it was 14 years after. <laughs> because, you see, you take God for his word. Lord, my body is yours. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. Now, you are responsible for keeping this body, not me. If you feel some slight headache, Lord, what are you doing? It's not me. Lord, it's your problem, not my problem. <laughs> yeah, <I> said, Lord, it's... <laughs> 
Lord, are you really caring for this body, Lord? Look at the meeting I'm going. That dress, this is not befitting. What are you doing? The body is yours. <laughs> it will surprise you. It will surprise you. It will be coming. To be coming. Because now God will need you now to be taking a gospel. Maybe you are being sent somewhere outskirts of Accra or any region in Ghana. God, the body is now His. He said, Lord, let's work. There's something must transmit the body to that place. So a car is needed. He knows you need a car. He'll bring it. And it can provoke Him to bring the car. Because he is now responsible. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. He assumes full responsibility. But the thing is that, will you give it to him? Will you give it to him? And when you give it to him, he will, it's not, he will, he will provide every, every day the strength. Now look at our Lord Jesus. In, in Psalm 40, it, it was prophesied of Jesus Christ. In burnt offering and sacrifices, thou hast had no pleasure, but my years has thou digged. That means Jesus' body, everything of him was given to God, and he was God's born slave. He was God's born servant. He was a slave to God. He was given fully to him. Look at Jesus. You wonder. Now, whenever you give your body as a living sacrifice, what you begin to do, people will look at you, and they will see you as superhuman. Because they will wonder, where is this guy getting all this strength from? No, the one who owns it is responsible for it. So your strength cannot fail. <laughs> yeah. Now, look at Jesus in the book of Mark. In the book of Matthew, he is the king. In the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, he is the perfect man. In John, he is God. In Mark, he is the perfect servant, or the tireless servant. The book of Mark reveals Jesus as the servant who is never tired. <laughs> yeah. He's never tired. That's why in Mark, there's no pedigree. But in Matthew, you see his pedigree. In Luke, you see his pedigree. A king needs to be introduced. But in, in Mark, there's no introduction because who cares for the introduction of a servant? So in Mark, he's the servant. In Matthew, when they were on the sea, they said, Lord, save us, we pray. But in Mark, they said, don't you care that we are perishing? Because that's how you speak to a servant. You understand? Now, in the book of Matthew, Jesus, he casted out devils. He casted out devils in five people. But in Mark, he casted out devils in 12 people. Because in, in Mark, we see the tireless servant. Tireless. Now, the book of Mark, the chapter 1 alone, has 41, 45 verses. 11 times you see the word immediately, straightway, as soon as, anon, the same Greek word, immediately. Straightway, as soon as, 11 times. In, in, just in one chapter. Why? Because as the Lord's servant, he was always prompt in serving God. He was always prompt in serving. As soon as, immediately. He, he was just always at a minute notice. I pray that there will be a spiritual reflex in you that corresponds to emergency without previous contemplation. That you'll be at a minute notice at every time ready when you are called to fulfill the mandate and the, and the mission of God. Now, listen, the book of chapter 1 alone, <laughs> it, it's so amazing, has 45 verses. Chapter 6 verses of the 45 begins with the word end. How do you begin a sentence with end? There are 16 chapters in the book of Mark. After the 16, 11 chapters begin with end. End. In the 16 chapters of Mark, you see the word end 2,500 times. Why is it end, end? Because the whole book of Mark is one whole, one whole narration. It speaks of something that is continuous. The tireless servant, when he finished one work, another work ought to be done. So he's always on the move. And he's speaking of movement. <laughs> movement. The work is never finished. It's, it's never ended. He finishes one, he must do another one. <laughs> so he's always on the move. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> 
<laughs> when you give your body as a living sacrifice, that's what begins to happen. But where does the strength come from? Hallelujah. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, he that raised up Christ shall quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Hallelujah. Mortality will be swallowed up of life. And a life will be seen in your mortal flesh. You become superhuman. The dunamis, the dunamis, the superhuman energy, the superhuman ability will immortalize your mortal flesh. Back take so shark take sashan dark take star. Hallelujah. Now, read the Mark chapter 1. You will see what Jesus did in one day. In one day, he did so many things. He preached the gospel. He went into the temple. He went to heal someone with a withered hand. Then he, he went to Peter's house and he, he healed his, mat, mat, um, his, his mother-in-law. After that, the healing spread throughout the whole town. So the whole city came, bringing sick people. He healed all of them. All is in one day. <laughs> And after everything, he woke up at dawn, rising up a great while. He departed <laughs> and went into a solitary place and he prayed. After that, I thought he would even sleep till 9 a.m. But he woke up a great while before day. 2 a.m., 3 a.m. <laughs> That's a tireless heaven. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as you are in God's ministry, you are in God's time, you are indestructible, you are superhuman. Nothing can touch you. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If a man walketh by the light of this world, he stumbleth not. You see, as long as you are in the light, under God's will, in God's place, you are superhuman. You are indestructible. Nothing can touch you. Nothing can touch you. Nothing can touch you. <laughs> he says, go tell that fox. I do kills today and tomorrow. In the third day, I shall be perfected. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are... Eleven times it was written, implied, and they could not lay hold on him because his hour was not yet come. <laughs> That's it. But brethren, this is our time. This work is not for our glory. It is for his glory understand this work is the eternal work there are people today who are in heaven that they wish they could come back you know why they wish they could come and add to their works when their time is over and we are the one they are looking it will surprise you you have no idea how this meeting for instance heaven is gazing at us and his heaven is counting on you this whole thing we are doing is not a playfair it's not a fanfare it is a warfare. It's a warfare. That's why Romans 6, 14 says, Yield your members as instrument of righteousness unto God. The word instrument is not instrument, it is the word weapons. Yield your members as weapons of righteousness. Listen, when you give your body as a living sacrifice, your members become weapons of righteousness. What are your members? The various parts of your body. Your leg becomes a weapon of righteousness. Your mouth becomes a weapon of righteousness. Your hand becomes a weapon of righteousness. You destroy the works of the devil. When you are working to that mission field, that leg is a weapon of righteousness. <laughs> it's a battle axe. Nullifying what Satan has done all these years. When you open your mouth, your tongue becomes the weapon of righteousness. By which you rescue souls to the kingdom. When you give with your hand, it becomes a weapon of righteousness by which many are saved from tragic poverty and from challenges by which the work of God is enhanced. You become a weapon of righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is our time. This is our time. Even Apostle Paul cannot add to his works. His time is over. If the best saint in heaven should come to the earth, he will still add to his works. But their time is over. Their time has expired. We are the people. Why do you think God has given you his pure word all these years? You receive the pure word all these years. It's not for a joke. If people are missing it out there, we shouldn't miss it. We should hit the target as it is. God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. I am become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it. To the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. 
as much as it lies in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you also that are far off. This is our time. This is our time. I came to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. This is our time. This is our time. Never be distracted. Too many things can distract us. But let's keep the main thing the main thing. It's for his glory. One day the father will smile on us. Because we're faithful servants. Faithful. And we added to that eternal work that he has been building all this. Make sure it's not about you. You are hidden and, he, and his glory is magnified. That Christ will be magnified in our body. The magnification of Christ in our bodies. Hallelujah. Can you please be seated? Praise God. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastor T podcast. Simply search for Pastor T on any podcast app, plug in and enjoy God's word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.